There is nothing new in the world except the history you do not know. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast. I'm your host, narrator, nerd, Todd Capone. Well, hello. I hope you enjoyed that song playing over the intro. I actually scraped that from a 1956 video called Inventions in America's Growth. I just thought it was hilarious because it kind of brought me back to elementary school watching some bad videos. So hope you enjoyed that. Let's get into the topic today. And one of the things that I'll point out is this is two weeks in a row where the, this week's podcast was the result of a question from one of you. And so if you've got questions you want me to dig into, I love that. And so, you know, last week, uh, it was Ben Tenpass asking me about the origin of quotas. This week, it's Jeff Bajoric asking me about the origin of Bant. He asked me, where did Bant come from? And, and Bant, as you may know, is a qualification construct. It stands for budget, authority, needs, and timeline. And so I started digging, like I always do. I dug through piles of books and publications on it. And while I'll attempt to answer his question a little bit later, it led to an important revelation about today's sales processes. So let's talk about sales process today, and then I'll get into BANT and qualification constructs a little bit later. To start, what does AIDA mean to you? Like, does it stir up feelings of the 1992 movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where Alec Baldwin so eloquently explained it? AIDA, attention, interest, decision, action. Attention, do I have your attention? Interest, are you interested? I know you are, because it's or walk. You close or you hit the bricks. Decision, have you made your decision for Christ? action attention interest desire action i mean when you think about the movie it sounds ridiculous right like totally old school well where did they get aida from well it's at least as far back as 1984 as glenn gary glenn ross the movie is from the 1984 pulitzer prize winning play of the same name but it actually it turns out AIDA is what I would call old, old school, like 1898 old. So when you really think about it, and where I'm going to go with this is, I think, you know, most of us associate old school selling approaches as being bad. But I'm starting to find that old, old school, like the OGs of sales, maybe they have the sentiment correct. So let's burn all the way back to 1898. There's a guy named Elias St. Elmo Lewis who is created with theorizing AIDA simply to explain the sequence a buyer goes through to make a purchase. They form a linear hierarchy. Is the client interested enough to pay attention and vice versa? And, and do they have the desire enough to act? That's the core of it. It's about the buyer, right? So as the progressive era of the Industrial Revolution took root in the early 1900s, and corporations hired their own salespeople to drive growth, formal sales processes were developed. And they all seemingly used AIDA. I mean, let's start with uh, 1924, uh, Elmer Ellsworth Ferris's book, Salesmanship, and I love the name Elmer. Page four, 
the heading is titled service is the essence of salesmanship and under it sits the chart figure one the sales process and its basis and its attention interest desire and action across the top it all sits on a bed of confidence again this is all buyer focus confidence builds from start to finish in the chart and all of it sits over another block which is called service so 1924 ferris is stating quote all writers on salesmanship concede that in every sale the mind of the customer will pass through four different stages attention interest desire and action all writers eh? well let's keep going four years earlier norville hawkins 1920 in his book the selling process it's a book that's so good i had to research him and I found his story, which is pretty insane. I, I may just do a podcast episode about him, as he is referred to as the greatest salesperson in the history of Ford Motor Company. And Henry Ford called him his million-dollar-a-year man. So anyway, he breaks the sale in a similar way. It, it's all about the buyer sizing the individual up and going through the process. So gaining attention and awakening interest is first, and then persuading and creating desire handling objections, securing decision and obtaining signature, and then what he calls the getaway and lead to future orders. Let's keep going though. I'll go back another year, 1919, and one of my favorite authors from the time, author, uh, Arthur Dunn. I, I love his writing as he's the father of what I would consider my favorite sales quote of all time as a transparency guy. It's, if the truth won't sell it, don't sell it. Well, in his book, Scientific Selling and Advertising, he takes us through the buying journey too, and it's exactly the same things. Uh, he changes the words a little bit. It's attention, confidence, education, desire, and volition. Now, I'm not stopping, and I'm going to explain why shortly, so hang in there. Three years earlier, Norris Briscoe in 1916, his book, Fundamentals of Salesmanship, walks through what he calls the six steps of the sale. And it starts with the introduction or attention directed to goods. Again, recognizing buyer behavior. Interest, meaning recognizing their desire to possess. Resolve to act, so recognizing their resolution to actually do something. And then conversion from resolve to act into action. And then there's questions and references are the added steps he puts on it. But think about this today, AIDA the basis for sales process based on the stages a buyer goes through to make a decision. In 1911, Arthur Sheldon sums up the starting point I want to make as only the GOAT of sales thought leadership can. Again, GOAT in my opinion. Then this is from his book, The Art of Selling. Again, 1911 says, quote, those people who make the largest fortunes in trade are the people who give most thought to the needs of the public and to the best means of serving them. True salesmanship is the science of service. Now, Sheldon goes on to say, quote, now the buyer has a viewpoint too, and we ought to look at a sales transaction through his eyes. However keen the sellers of today are on making money, the buyer himself is keen on dealing only with those who serve him best. All right, so with all that, here's my point. I want you to think about every sales process I just described. I want you to think about what Elmer E. Ferris said. 
that all writers on salesmanship concede this. The process, AIDA, is about recognizing the buyer behavior. It's the science of service to the customer, as Arthur Sheldon said. Now, compare that to every sales process you are probably aware of today. What does the sales process sound like today? Is it the process of recognizing buyer behavior and matching up our activities against it? Or is it the opposite? Or is it like a conveyor belt of sales-focused activities? Look at your sales stages in your CRM. What are they? Are they qualification and then discovery and then demo and then proposal and then close? All things you are doing as the salesperson I mean, I was on the sales leadership team at Exact Target, and we originally had eight steps. I used to teach a four-step process. And the four-step process I used to teach even 20 years ago was open and qualify, then do a discovery, then propose, then close. Seller, 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 seller. We say it, we need to be buyer-centric, but what do we measure? What do we reinforce? Seller activities. Like, look across all of these things as I get back to Jeff's question. Bant. There's another one called Champ. There's another one called Neat and Medic and Anum and Faint and Note. All acronyms, all qualification methodologies. You know, buyers can feel that they are essentially having to earn the right to buy from you, right? You know, as a sales leader, you might think that, oh, these are just qualifications so that the, the customer is worth us spending our time on. But when you're measuring these things, your reps are thinking about what they have to do to justify that you are worth spending time on. They feel it. So as designed, in my opinion, these are essentially selfish and seller-centric, right? So regarding Bant and Jeff's initial question, yeah, I get why Bant was developed. I mean, it appears anecdotally that IBM came up with these qualification methodology structures in the 1950s or 1960s. I I have not found the proof. There's a bunch of people that claim that. uh, And so I don't want to put a stamp on it and go, that's the way it was. But keep in mind, IBM was selling business machines that were the cost of like a ship. I mean, budget was the first question and there was a reason. So don't mishear me. I think qualification is vital. Absolutely. Working the opportunities you should be working on. Focus, right? I I just, I was always a big advocate and my reps always heard me say this a lot. No science projects. The most valuable thing we have in our inventory is time. And if you're going to lose, you better lose fast, right? But none of these qualifications, uh, qualification methods existed prior to the 1950s. In the late 1800s, by the way, John Patterson, who's the founder of NCR, National Cash Register, that like I want to really spend time on because uh, the guy's a master, like arguably the father of almost every single concept we think about today in corporate B2B selling. And, and I'm in the middle of researching him. I found a gold mine. I'm not sure anyone else has, like maybe Malcolm Gladwell, I'm checking, but Here's his theory on qualification. And again, this is probably a quote from around 1890 from what I can tell. He says, quote, every merchant must account for cash. The cash register accounts for cash. Therefore, every merchant needs a cash register. So in other words, back then, if you had a territory, your qualification methodology was, hey, do you sell things? All right, cool. You could use this. 
Now, that can't be the, the case today with massive total addressable markets where, where focus is required. So I get it. We need something. I firmly believe, though, it goes back to better pre-call research and then recognizing buyer behavior. So regarding the sales process, while I didn't invent this foundation, I used it as the structure in my first book, The Transparency Sale. And we'll talk a lot of, more about it as a forecasting structure in my next book, The Transparent Sales Leader, that's expected out in February if I can get the manuscript done. But our sales process and our forecasting stages must be housed in recognizing buyer behavior foundationally. Because while we can all say all day long that reps should be buyer-focused, if all of our processes and measures are seller-centric, guess what the seller puts first? Themselves. So that foundation, it's simply... Why change? Why us? Why now? Meaning recognizing where the buyer is in their journey of recognizing their need to change, recognizing the path to change, and recognizing when to change. Then as we dig into qualification, and I scream this one from the mountaintops, with piles of qualification methodologies, why do leaders still insist on the 4X rule? Meaning, we clearly still suck at it if the rule is 4X and the 4X rule is, hey, we need to maintain 4X of our quota and pipeline at all times. That A, drives reps to fill their pipelines up with 4X full of crap, but also B, means that we assume most of what we're working on deal-wise isn't going to close. So why can't we get better at qualification? Lose faster the deals we're going to lose anyway. And get that ratio down to 2x or 3x so we spend more time on the deals we should win or, or finding more that are of a better fit. And if that's the case, qualification, therefore, becomes a different acronym, which I, I call taking the customer's temp, T-E-M-P, but I, I'm now evolving that into tempt or tempting the customer because we've got to add a T. And, and so here's mine. I know this isn't sales history related, but I believe... If we're thinking about focused buyer behavior in qualification, this TEMPT acronym maybe is a better one. Use it, rip on it, you tell me. TEMPT, so the first T is trigger. Does the buyer see that their status quo is no longer sustainable? Do we believe it to be the case? Then the E is engagement, meaning simply an engaged buyer is evidenced in their willingness to put you on their calendar for a meeting, for another meeting, for another meeting. The M is mobilizer. Now, this concept comes from the challenger sale guys, but are, are we attached to someone who is capable of mobilizing change within their organization and recognizing the behavior that mobilizers have over other people that are just there for themselves or tire kickers? The P is plan, which is an engaged buyer is also willing to chart a path chart a path with you? Are they willing to take a journey with us? And then that final T is transparency. In other words, are they okay with what we don't do? Will the truth sell it? Have we addressed the elephant in the room? In my opinion, win fast, but more importantly, lose fast. So regardless, any way you slice it, to be buyer-centric, what we measure must become buyer-centric, right? From 1890 to 1925, at the very least, every sales expert was foundationally building their approach 
on buyer centrism. Am I wrong? Like, what do you think? Send me a note, reach out to me on LinkedIn. My email address is tcaponi at salesmelon.com if you want to hit me directly. Find my website at transparencysale.com. Again, I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your thoughts on it. If you've got ideas, things you want me to research, let me have it. And please, if you like the podcast, rate, review it, share it, talk about it. It really inspires me to keep going with this. And if you don't, I would love your feedback too. So hope you enjoyed this one. Hope you learned a little bit that you can actually think about and use today with a frame on sales history and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.